0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am so excited that you're about to listen in on another episode of the Made Possible By podcast. I wanted to take a quick second to let you know exactly what we do. Made Possible By makes giving easy for community-minded businesses and provide a more effective way to share their stories of good. Now let's jump into the podcast. Welcome to the Made Possible By podcast where we have conversations around good with community-minded individuals. We hope that today's episode inspires you to go out and do good.
1: Hello, and thank you again for joining us for another conversation around good. I am Tracy with Made Possible By, and we love to make good loud. We love to share stories of good from around the world. Uh, And today I'm excited to have as a guest with me today, Sebastian Sanders. Sebastian, you and I, we met on LinkedIn, right?
2: Yes, ma'am. It was LinkedIn. That's, yeah. that's
1: right. Okay. That's right. Because we, I'm trying to think if it was, co- it was co- er, like barely even COVID. Because we sat outside at a coffee shop, didn't we, in Edmund? Yes. Yeah.
2: I believe it was like last summer, I believe. Okay. I so it was June or July.
1: So last summer, was it?
2: I believe so. Okay, so. so it was
1: it was mid COVID, I guess. So okay, yeah. <laughs> okay. I just remember that I needed to have a mask to go into the coffee shop. Oh, yeah,
2: no. <laughs> it was
1: fun talking about that. Okay, so I'm going to tell you a little bit about uh, Sebastian, then I'm going to let him tell you a little bit more. So Sebastian is known as the youth principal. He is a world motivational speaker, born in Houston, Texas. A community leader, youth advocate. Uh, He founded Sanders Hand in 2017. He's going to tell us more about that. Sebastian is a graduate of the University of Texas at San Antonio with a bachelor's degree in business administration and management. Right now, he is a sales district manager at PepsiCo. He is the founder and chairman of SJS Enterprises, a nonprofit consulting and coaching where we will talk more about that for sure. Sebastian is a published best-selling author of Art of Giving, One Nonprofit Can Change the World, The Complete Business Inspirational Guide to Founding Your Own Nonprofit Organization. He created the Define Success Curriculum and Leadership Camp. And one of the quotes Sebastian is known for sharing is, don't look for change, be the change. So all those things are super impressive. But what's going to be even more impressive is when Sebastian tells you how old he is. How old are you, Sebastian.
2: Yes, ma'am. I'm 23.
1: He's 23. He's done all these things <laughs> and he's 23. I mean, that's just That's, that's just crazy. So that's really cool. Um, <laughs> yes, so Sebastian, tell us something unique about you and something that brought you joy this week.
2: Yes, ma'am. Um, I think one thing that's unique about me uh, before I kind of got into, you know, my career and the things that I do now was I had aspirations of being a rapper. And so, you know, I, I grew up, I'm, I'm a big rap fan. I'm a huge Tupac fan. You know, he's my idol and okay. everything I say. And so, you know, I had a phase when I was in college where I really wanted to be a rapper. So, you know, I invested into equipment and you know I started to create songs and things like that. Um, but it just didn't plan out the way I thought it was. You know, the music just wasn't that good. But from that moment, I realized that, you know, God was preparing me to use my voice. Before another way, and so I I kid you not, I want to say three weeks later, I was like, you know what, I'm just done with the rap career. I'm going to end it. I'm going to stop it. Santa's hand kind of came into my life, and it was founded. and And from that moment, that's when I realized, you know, you go through things and situations, and you try things, but it's preparing you for the next phase of your life. And so I still love music to this day. Um, and I have aspirations of, you know, one day owning my own music company or being a uh, manager or artist. You know, I I just love music so much. It's super powerful in today's world. And so any ways that I can be, you know, a contribution to that, I, I would love to.
1: Okay, so can you give us a 30-second – can you drop the beat for us for 30 seconds?
2: (laughs) I haven't done it in so long. I I think we'll have to – I have to go write that down and and, and send that to you. You have to practice?
1: (laughs) Okay. Yeah, I have to practice. I
2: I, I threw away – (laughs) yeah.
1: I'm totally putting him on the spot on that, so sorry. (laughs) So tell me something that brought you joy this week, Sebastian. So right now where we are in the world – I don't know when you're listening, listeners, um, but we just had – our second week in Oklahoma of uh, below freezing temperatures. So it's been cold, we've been stuck inside, we've had a lot of snow. So what did you find this week, Sebastian, that brought you joy?
2: Um, I think what brought me joy this week is you know really just connecting uh with with my, with my employees and my team. You know, I, I I manage a team of eleven sales representatives here in Oklahoma City, and so you know throughout this whole you know situation, you know a lot of my my, my people have families, um, so they have a lot of things to tend to outside of work, and so one of the things just being able to connect with them and see how things are going, you know, first them or you know just asking them what can I do for you? How can I be of service? Um, and just being able to connect with them and them say, you know what, uh, just thank you for, you know, being there. Just thank you for showing us the support that really means a lot. Um, because through times like this, you know, something that we can't control, something that we, we knew it was coming, but we didn't know it comes to this extent. And so, you know, when, when our people are, are faced, you know, with adversity and they're faced with challenges, just being there and, and, and seeing how happy they are that, that, that you have the support, that really meant a lot for me. And so um, as we try to, you know, get back to work and get things back in shape, it was just exciting to see, you know, them happy um, because they End of the day, they make our company, you know, great because they're on the front line every day. They're they're making the sales, they're doing the hard work and physical work, and so just being able to be, you know, behind them and support them, that really means a lot.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and just putting people first, right? And just people yes, knowing ma'am. that you care. I think when you invest in your people, you're definitely going to get the best out of them, right? Most when they you know yes, that ma'am. you value them and that you actually care. So, good mm-hmm. job, good for you. Yes, okay, so tell us why you started Sanders Hand.
2: Yeah, so, um, you know, I was a sophomore at the time, and I was going through that transitional phase of okay, I'll be graduating in the next two years. What do I exactly want to do with my career and what's going to be my purpose? You know, so I'm trying to figure it out. So as I t- talked about earlier, you know, the rap career thing was going on. And then I started to realize, like, you know, I was getting affirmations that, you know, using my voice and being a leader was going to be somewhere down the line. I just didn't know exactly where. And so, you know, at that time, I had a talk with my career counselor and she was saying, you know, um, we have to start getting your resume together, we have to start applying for internships and things like that. And she was just challenging me to find something, challenging me to go deeper within myself. And so I remember I was in my stats class. And I, I really don't like math. Um, you know, I, I can do the simple math, but when it comes down to statistics and uh, conversions, I just, I really just hated that. So I'm in the class, um sitting at the top and I'm Googling like community work. You know, it came to my idea, I said, I want to do a donation drive back home in Houston, Texas. Um, so I came up with an idea, and then I hurried and went home and called my dad. So my dad, he's been my 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 partner in everything. Anything that I do in life, I call him and consult with him before. Um, you know, he's been my inspiration, and I've seen him. You know, with his business ventures, I've always wanted to be like him. So before I had an idea, I was calling get his advice. And I remember he told me, he said, you know, son, this sounds like a great idea. I think this fits you. Um, but whatever you do, just make sure your heart is in it, and you go all in. He said, you know, don't just do it for a time. Just do. He said, if you're going to do this, you have to. Take this really serious because you're not only doing it for yourself, your name, your family, and then you're representing a community. And so when he told me that, you know, I was like, "Oh wow, like this is this might be bigger than what it is." And so, you know, that idea, I took it and ran with it, and you know, Sanders Hand was created because I was a first generation college student. So going to college, um you know, some of the things that I had to learn, I I learned it alone as I went along. And so, you know, you know, having both of my parents at home and them teaching me a lot of things, you know, was a blessing I'm grateful for. But not every student. Or not even kid has an opportunity to have that leisure when they go home. You know, especially in our African American communities and our you know our minority communities. Period. They necessarily don't have that. That big brother, big sister, or somebody showing them the way. And so it's it's, it's it's hard when it's time for them to graduate and really you know find themselves and find their career when nobody has you know really invested into them. And so you know I, I seen that need and I feel like you know it was it was put on me to to be the change, um, to be the spark to motivation, to be somebody that's going to be able to lead our kids out. And so Sanders Hand was created with the with the simple mindset of, of how can we increase that that income level in these communities while decreasing that poverty level? How can I pull more resources and more finances in, into the community while helping these people? You know, achieve their goals and success. And you know, we we changed the mission so many times throughout this time. But you know, I, I really realized the the true power and the true inspiration we, we had with the kids is when the first thing I did. Um, I think it was the summer of 2017. I taught an ESL class. You know, I I don't really know how to speak Spanish, uh, but my girlfriend at the time she was Hispanic, and so this was a uh, this was something that was important to her, and she was kind of showing me some things and so um i taught the class you know i taught them how to you know get the citizenship and things like that and so afterwards these people who are way older than me they have their families and whatnot um they graduated from the course i think all of them got the citizenship yeah everybody graduated got the citizenship and i was just at the graduation just sitting there and i was like Wow, this is um, th- this is bigger than me. You know, two months ago I had this. I actually two months ago I wanted to be a rapper and whatnot, but now I've I've taught an ESL class. I've graduated. You know, adults to finally get the citizenship that's going to change their life forever. And they were so happy. They made me a cake. Um, they made me their their favorite food from their families, and it was just amazing to see that. And from that moment, I, I knew Sanders Hand was going to be something special that I'll do for the rest of my life.
1: Wow, that's so cool. I love that story that you were so young, invested in these people. Like you said, they're adults, they have families, um, mm-hmm. but that's a huge change for them to yes, <laughs> them understand and get their citizenships. Wow. I love that story. That's great. Um, yes, so tell me some problems that are faced in our impoverished communities from your perspective, because you're in a lot of schools, you work with a lot of uh, nonprofits. What are you seeing?
2: You know, I think the biggest problem comes down to uh, leadership and Financial literacy or just literacy, period. I think one of the most things that we struggle with in, in our communities is leadership because we, we we tend to find leadership in people who I can say maybe the most popular, right? Maybe a local celebrity or something of that nature. Once we truly realize that we have to empower the people who make decisions in our communities, our councilmen, our city managers, our, our, our correspondents, those are the people who we should be going to. I think it'll solve most of our community problems. Instead of looking towards somebody who may be... Uh, a local rap or a local or author or something like that. You know, those people are great and all, but you have people who really make decisions, who impact your everyday lives. And I think we have to understand, we have to sit back and understand and really realize how can we get behind these people? Because they're the ones that's going to help us push for change. So once we kind of, you know, figure out ways to decipher that leadership problem, I think our communities will flow a lot better. But a lot of that falls back onto the education part of the literacy piece. We have to educate our, our not only our kids, but our families as well. We have to show them, this is what your counselor does this is what your city manager does this is what your mayor does because in reality we all go to school we go to social studies and we go through our courses but we truly don't really understand what which, which each position in our in our city holds if it wasn't for my for my internship in San Antonio I wouldn't I wasn't going to be able to be exposed to a lot of the stuff that how, how a city operates I didn't know that the city manager essentially has more power than a mayor. The mayor has, you know, has a, a great amount of power, but the city manager is the one that signs off on the decisions and things of that nature. Right. And so you would think in school they would teach us, you know, stuff like this, and 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 we don't learn that. And so when we go out into society and we start to complain about, oh, why is this like this in this community? Uh, why we don't have funding over here for these schools? Where is the leadership? Where exactly are, are these decisions being made? And so I think that's one of the problems we have to figure out a, a, a strategic way to educate our people. Second is the you know the financial gap. I think the biggest problem that that, that we have in these communities is finances, right? Nobody really truly understands financial literacy. Um, nobody really has the opportunity to have you know get exposed to the jobs that actually pay well. And then every every everybody is is is, is forced you know to go to college. We, we push all our kids to go to college. Um, there's nothing wrong with you know with the college route, but we also have to realize every student that's not made for college. So why do we send that student um, to to school to accumulate $40,000 of debt to graduate with a job that's going to pay them maybe $30,000 a year? That's something that they didn't want to do, but they did that because that's what society was pushing them towards. That student could have had a could have had a different career. If somebody would have invested into them while they was in middle school or high school and showed them, hey, you may, may not want to go to school, but let's figure out a trade. Let's go and get you a trade license. Let's go figure out something that you're really passionate about that you can succeed in, that way you can bring the fi- you can bring the income up in your home. You can pr- provide your family with resources. And so I look at it like this, you know, being an African-American male, our community um is accumulates up to $1.2 trillion worth of of spending dollars in the US per year. When you think about that, that number is it's a huge number, but then you start to go back to the communities and see. What's actually being invested? And then you start to see we don't necessarily have anything invested into our communities. Where does that problem lock? Financial literacy. Our people, we, we, we gain the, we get the money, but we don't know exactly what to do with it. And so I think once you close that economical gap, you'll figure out that these communities will be way better off. You have more, you know, stuff thriving in the community. You have more kids taken care of. But we have to figure out leadership and figure out ways, you know, to bridge that financial literacy piece together. Um, it, was, it was amazing to see high school seniors didn't know anything about a checking account or a savings account. Then these are kids that you're forcing to go to college in less than three months. They don't know anything about the banking system. And it's, 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 it's hard to see that because, you know, these are really smart kids, but they're not just given they're not given a chance to really just learn how to do life. And, and, and it hurts because you, you push them out so far. And you, sometimes when you push somebody so far, it's kind of hard to pull them back because they get to a point where it's like where I didn't, you didn't, I don't know anything anymore. I'm going to just live life how I want to live it. And so and before we, we, we push them out into the world, we have to decipher the root of the problem. The root of the problem lies right there when it comes down to leadership and financial literacy. And I think if we really attend to that a lot more, we'll see a better return on our investment. And, you know, when we speak on financial literacy, you know, I, I don't want it to just be a seminar where we teach you one hour how to do these things. It needs to be a six to eight week camp. We're hands-on with our kids, and at the end, we're putting together ten to fifteen people who's willing to donate. Okay, um, I think it start. I think it doesn't take anything to get a, a account for somebody that's under eighteen or under twenty-one. I think all you have to have is like twenty-five dollars to start. Let's all put up twenty-five dollars for hundred kids to get a bank account, and let's show them, you know, the, the teachings of financial literacy. Once we do that, let's take them to a job and let them apply for a resume. And I think once you start to rinse and repeat that that, that tradition, you will see our communities change. But until then, until we realize that that's the root of the problem, I think we'll always fall behind
1: wow I, I love that that piece in walking them through the basic things because mm-hmm. you you have to know how to handle a checking account you have to know how exactly. to do these things so um wow do you see astigmatism with people um choosing not to go to school and to do a trade do you see that or do you see that lessening
2: I see it. Well, nowadays I see it increasingly more because you have social media being so you know popular and you're starting to see a lot of people are influenced by the fast life. Right. So you see somebody, well, I don't have to go to college to get these type of things in life. Granted, that's true. Um, but also, too, I, I think it's important for, for our kids to know the real truth of being an entrepreneur. Um, having a trade and going to college. There's pros and cons in each and everything that we do, but we have to really teach them the true reality. We can't force feed them the, the nice and the glamorous things because then you're just they're only going to be chasing that. They're not chasing a purpose. And so, so now you start to see a lot of kids, you know, start to steer away from it. But every time I speak to our kids, I give them the raw down about each and every one, and I want you to make that decision. I don't want to make that decision for you because you know what's best for you. But I want to be able to help you and push you along. Um, but I think I think in the next few years you're going to start to see that 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 college um, attendance level you know decrease slightly because you have more kids realizing that oh i can be an entrepreneur i can make digital money which is true um there's nothing wrong with that but i really also want our kids to realize that you want to be able to build that generational wealth right so if we're coming out of high school and you want to go to a generational wealth we have to figure out a five to 10 year plan of exactly what you're likely gonna look like in the next 10 years. How can we build towards that? Will that be going to get a trade? Will that going to school to get a degree is something that's gonna pay you very well? Or will that be starting your own business? And we have to expose them um, to the resources and just educate them. And I, and I, and I, think, um, I think it's gonna offset at some point. You know, I, I, college will never go away. I think college is extremely important, but I also think we shouldn't also feed every kid towards that level um, because like I said, every kid is not ready for college.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's I know. Me as a mother, I wanted my kids to go to college, and neither of them went that route. Neither of my my big kids. My three year old, well, it's yet to see. But uh, yeah. yeah, and that was really hard for me as a parent to say, "Okay, this is not what you want," and and to let them go down the road that they want. But but again, they're they're doing fine, you know.
3: We want to take a quick moment to thank our sponsor, Strategic Hype. When people ask you about your business, what do you say? How do you describe your products or services? Are you selling yourself short because you just can't put it into words? You're good at what you do, but it's not always easy to communicate how you're great at your work with simplicity. But now you have help. My friend Andrea at Strategic Hype will help you clarify your mission and communicate your value with the hype kit. This process will help you cut through the noise and share the best of what you do. Made Possible by recently brought Andrea on to create a hype kit for us, and I am so excited to see it based on other things I've seen her do for small businesses, large businesses, nonprofits, and churches. For details on all the good stuff you get out of this hype kit, email Andrea at strategic.com dash hype.com or reach out to us directly at MadePossibleByUs, us and we will get you connected
1: the city council piece to the city manager to the mayor do you think and i'm and we have more minorities in those positions that it's easier for the community to go talk to them to ask them questions to find out what's going on to help to be a part of the solution
2: Yes, ma'am. You know, I think in your represented communities, if you have somebody who looks like that community, it's easier for, you know, the community to go and ask questions and and be out in front and center. But the the piece is you have to be really transparent and authentic when working with youth and the community. They can really read between the lines. If a person is being fake or real, they can read a person within five minutes without having zero political experience. And so I think, you know having our minority figures out there is, is important. We have to have more than our communities that's heavily minority. It just, it just makes sense logically. But our people that in up positions, they have to be really transparent, authentic, and they have to be able to Re- really listen to our people. In order to lead somebody, you have to intervene in their world in order to lead them out. If you're in that, in that p- position, you have to figure out ways to get back into your community and figure out exactly what's the root of the problem. That goes with being on the front line. That what goes in being in the trenches every day with your community and really seeing the people's point of view. Um, And so I think, you know, once we really realize that, that a person is a minority from a community, we shouldn't have a person that, that doesn't look like that community because automatically the community is not going to get behind them. They're not going to trust them because they don't feel safe. They don't feel comfortable. Then they're also going to look at it like, you don't know what goes on in our neighborhoods. You didn't live here. You didn't grow up here. Maybe you did, but you're so out of touch with reality. It's hard for us to really trust you because you don't know. And so I, that that's important when it comes down to local politics. You have to match your community. You know it, that that's that's like you know where I'm from. You know, um, heavily African American, heavy um minority. I'm sorry, Hispanics. It'd be hard for a person of a Caucasian person to come be a councilman in that district because they wouldn't really understand the verbiage, the language. Um, it'd be very hard for them. And so it'd be hard for the community to trust them. Once the community doesn't trust you, then you have that big gap. Then you start to have a lot of local problems and a lot of police problems and things of that nature. So I think we have to really be strategic on who we replacing in each position to serve our people.
1: Mm-hmm. No, I, I completely agree. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so, so your book is called The Art of Giving. What What does that mean?
2: So the art of giving is, you know, is the 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 definition of giving. What does giving mean to you? You know, and I think all of us have a different definition of giving, just like anything else in life. You know, we define things differently. But giving is, is an art, just like it's is music, just like it's sports, entertainment and things of that nature. But we have to truly learn how to intentionally give. And so there are so many different ways you can give through our life. And I think, you know, for me... Um, I think giving was so important to me as a kid. And I think that's why I'm the person that I am today, because when I was 11 years old and this is when the art of giving kind of just came into my life. But I didn't know it at that time. Man, I'm sorry. I was 13. You know, uh, my parents were like, OK, not getting any more gifts uh, for Christmas. We're just going to give you money. And so, you know, you're 13 years old. You're happy when your parents say they're going to give you money. So I'm like, yeah, you know, yeah, that's cool. You know, let's go. So uh, but before I can do anything with my money, uh, my dad would literally. I would write down everybody, you know, from my mom, my dad, my grandmother, brother, aunt, because everybody in my immediate family, I had to write their names down and I had to figure out where I was going to get each and every one of them. Before I can spend any of my Christmas money, I had to make sure I, you know, I got my family gifts. And so when you're 13, 14, you don't want to necessarily hear that. You want to go out and go shop and get shoes, video games, whatever you want to do. And so the first couple of years, you know, I was like, man, I really hate this. Like, <laughs> this is my Christmas money. Like, why do I have to do that? But as I got a little older, started to mature, and really just started to realize how important it was to just give. Um, because you know, I think our legacy and our purposes—it's not going to be defined on how much wealth I accumulate or how much you know, th- nice things I have. I think it's going to be about how many people's life that you can change for you know, for the better. You know, I think that's how our society remember you. And so once I started to see. My grand, my grandmother just being simply happy. I remember she, she, she was in love with Red Lobster, um, at the time. So I just get her a Red Lobster gift card, and she'd just be so happy just to have that. You know, I fell in love with seeing them happy. And so as I started to grow and mature as a young adult into the man that I am today, I just fell in love with the with the art of giving. And you know, that's kind of how Santa's Hand came into fruition. You know, as giving as a kid. And so you know, when I sat down and thought of the book title, you know, I was like, what, you know, what exactly? what message am I trying to put out to the world? Um, what message do I stand on? And I, and I say, you know what, I think the Sanders hand and everything I've done today, whether that's through all the business investments that I've accumulated, it all serves a common theme of giving. And, and I say, I, I really wanna be able to teach people how to give because like I say, it's important that you really know how to give because anybody can give, whether you truly wanna do it or not, anybody can give. But the more you give intentionally and you're, you're, you're fulfilling a purpose and you're serving other people, God opens up doors and you yourself open up so many doors within your life, which are also you're you're creating a, a trickle down effect. You're giving to somebody who's going to remember what you did for them. They're going to do the same thing, and it, it trickles back down. And I, it's the method of it's the method of reaching back and pulling up. I can do everything I want in the world and, and have everything, but if I don't share that with the people I love or with the people that that look up to me, the next generation, then I'm just going to be selfish, and then I'm just never going to fulfill my life purpose. And um, that's you know that's what the art of giving means to me. And um, since I came up with that title, I remember I was just uh, and I'm a big overthinker, so I can literally be sitting down somewhere. And I would just be thinking about something business-minded, and then it just pop up. And I remember, I think either I was playing a video game with with, with my friends or something, and I I came, I was like, Art of Giving, that's it. I said, I'll be right back. In the middle of the game, I paused the game, went to my room, wrote down the Art of Giving, and I said, this is going to be the book title. And I ran with it, and I'm, I'm really happy that I chose that because, you know, that's the message.
1: So how old were you when you wrote that down?
2: I was 22. I was right before I was getting ready
1: Okay. Yeah, I was 22. Yeah. Okay. So it wasn't it wasn't too terribly long ago. Okay.
2: Yeah, too uh, long it's,
1: ago. <laughs> it's that old adage that it feels better to give than to receive, right? I mean, it's yes, always better to see people's face light up when you when you give stuff. Yeah. Yes, uh, ma'am. My I have this necklace. Both of my boys actually have given me necklaces, but one of them, my youngest, well, he's my middle child now, but he got me this necklace at the dollar store because it was with his money. That was the key. Mm-hmm. He was probably five, six, maybe mm-hmm. and he chose to go to the dollar store with his dad, spend his money and buy me this necklace. But I love that necklace because yeah. he was thinking of me and he chose to do that. I love how your parents gave you money and made you think everyone through and to get them something first. That's, that's a big lesson right there. That's a hard one. Yeah, it
2: was. Yeah. It's super important.
1: <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, so I read an article about how Sanders Hand teaches teens practical skills that they will need to enter the workforce or to apply for college. So what does that look like in a, not just the checkbook skills, but what other skills do you see that they need? Yes, to ma'am.
2: So, You know, I think the the important skills um, is is exposing them to and resume. You know, showing them you know how to craft the you know the right resume and how to interview. You know, just how to how, what do you wear to an interview? You know, professional etiquette skills. Um, you know the financial literacy skills, as we talked about earlier, but then also leadership. You know, teaching our our, our kids how to be leaders, teaching them how to how, how to speak in certain situations, how to greet somebody, um, how to hold a conversation. Really, just teaching them those soft and, and and personal skills takes them a long way. You know, one of the things that I've learned was when I was a kid. I think we was um I was in the fourth grade. Um, it was in this man this young man's group, and they were showing us how to like shake a man's hand. And so I remember our coaches like. You know, you're shaking my hand too weak, you know, be firm with it. And so, you know, we're laughing and playing, cause we're fourth grade, you know, we, we're not we're not that mature yet. So we think it's a joke. But you 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 use that in the back of your head moving forward that every time I shake a man or uh, anybody's hand, man or woman, wanna be able to be sincere and firm with that. And so you think about what you learned as a kid and how that's installed in in, in your whole life. And that's the same thing that we work with with in our kids. We want to be able to teach you those soft in-person skills that you necessarily may not get in your eight-hour classroom. We want to be able to expose you to the leadership. How can I really address my teacher in the meeting? How can I address my interview? What to write on my resume? Um, financial skills. How to Professional etiquette skills. How do I dress in certain occasions? That goes a long way because when that, he or she goes off to college or it goes on into the workforce or go into their career and they they're, they have to go to a big interview, they're going to always remember this is what I wear to interview. This is what I don't wear to interview. This is what I say in interview. This is what I don't say an in interview. Uh, professional etiquette. This is how I handle myself. This is how I handle myself in networking situations. And so, you know, those are the skills that and when we put that program together, those was uh, for the kids, by the kids. You know, I spent six months, you know, inside the classrooms, really trying to understand what our kids was missing and how can I bring value to our kids? And so one of the most important things, I think, in anything that you do in life, you have to analyze a problem, but you have to figure out how to be the solution. And if you want to solve anything or or really be successful in any business venture, there's always going to be a problem in this world. How can you be the solution? And we noticed that our kids were just lacking that. Um, And and I think the the school system, you know, didn't do them any justice. And it's a bit outdated. And so we realized, okay, if that's the problem, we're going to take it to our students. So before we even had a session, I would always put out a survey and say, hey, guys, what are some skills that you want to learn? And the top four that we came out was professional etiquette skills, um, financial literacy mock interview skills and resume skills and how to be how to build a brand, how to be an entrepreneur. And so once we realize, OK, this is what we're going to run with, we create a program stemmed around that. And it's been amazing to see. And it's fun to work with our kids, you know, to see them grow and just grow as leaders and business owners and young entrepreneurs and influencers. I mean, they're, they're, they're so amazing once you really, truly invest into them.
1: So it, I, I'm sure we have people listening uh, and I, I hear this sometimes as well, um, just out in the business world when I was in the chambering is we the school asking for mentors, the school asking for people to come in and, and uh, be a leader, be a representative. And, I, and people say, I don't have any skills or I don't know what to teach them. And that simple, yeah. we, we shake hands program. We have that in my town where a group of men go in once a month and teach these kids look, I look them in the eye, shake their hand. Mm. And then they teach them how to tie a tie, yep. you know, how to wear a nice shirt. Uh, the community comes together and buys them all ties, you know, so they, mm. they all have a tie, but those are just, you know, they're simple skills, but you still have to be taught to do it, right? You have yeah, to be yeah, taught yeah. to do that. That's something that my husband has done with my boys, and I saw my 18-year-old today. The 3-year-old came up to give him a hug, and he gave him a hug, and then he said, shake my hand, and he went and shook <laughs> his hand, and then the 3-year-old looked down, and he said, no, 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 look at me in the eye, look me in the eye. Mm-hmm. So the little 18-year-old is teaching the 3-year-old a skill that his dad had taught him, you know. Yes, I love to, to see that trickle. That's so great. Yeah
2: ma'am
1: um so you meet with a lot of students and administrators and you were talking just a minute ago that you see some gaps in education a little bit a little bit of date little education seems a little bit dated in some ways Mm -hmm. so what do you see are the main hurdles that are facing education
2: you know i think the the main hurdles is uh Change I think a lot of people are are um are scared to change things um because they don't know the outcome, but anything that you do in life you know we never know what's going to be you know in in that next room we never know what's going to be on the other side of the river so you have to be able to just willing to you know go out there and and really just take a chance um you know and and I think that's important especially with with you know with schools and systems because each year you know students are are are, are you know getting different you know you have a different group of kids coming in um our systems are updating is evolving. We have to be able to just to follow that along. And I think one of the things is we got so comfortable and, and so complacent with what we've been doing for the last 30 to 40 years that we're like, you know, we don't need to change that. And, and I think it's because we've seen a lot of success within our, within our schools. But once you go to those inner city schools and you start to see they don't have the success that you may have down the street at the schools who have a lot of resources and a lot of funding. What exactly can we do? We have to make change. So I think the first thing, you know, working with that is the education gap has changed. Second, it is representation. I think we have to really be strategic, whether that's what we talked about earlier with the city council place and things like that. Representation in these schools is really important. When you're going to work with an inner city school, a lot of those students, they have a lot of trust issues. Um, they go through a lot of different things at home. So it's hard for them to just to trust anybody rather than and then rather alone just chasing you know, trusting somebody that just doesn't look like them. And, you know, a lot of people like to play, you know, the, the racial part. I, I don't think it has anything to do with the racial part. It's just about if a student has been going through trauma and a lot of things at home, And they're looking to confide in somebody and trust in somebody. It's going to be hard for them to trust somebody that doesn't look like them. That's just normal logistics of life. And so I think if you start to really, really pour your resources into those communities and get more representation, I think those kids will have a a better chance at life. They'll feel comfortable. And you give somebody that looks like them an ability to change their life because they can walk that walk and talk that talk. And so I think we have to come down and change representation. And we have to really, you know, stop categorizing every kid. One of the problems that I noticed is uh, we were coming up in, in middle school. You know, a lot of us had behavior problems. You know, I, my, I myself, I talked a lot. I was always a class clown. I was always doing something, you know, um, but the grades was always good. So I always got passes from my teacher. But, you know, it was one point, you know, my teacher was trying to, you know, say that, oh, he's a disturbance to the class. We should put him in alternative school. And, and, I, and people, they, they, they're amazed when I tell them this story. Because they probably thought I was a straight-A student or whatnot. You know, the grades was always good with the behavior. It took me some time to mature. And so I remember they had this big conference send down with my mom and my dad. And my, my mom and my dad was like, well, how can he be put in that category um, based off of one incident that he may do an hour out of the day? And that's when, you know, I'm listening, I'm, and I'm I'm young at the time. But, you know, you start to listen. And then once you start to see it, you know, 20, I'm sorry, 10 years later as an, as an adult, you start to really see that's exactly what goes on in these schools. One thing you do, they're going to automatically put you in a category and they're willing to give up on you and bring in the next kid. You, you can't give up on on, on, a, on, a, on a middle school student. Who doesn't even know themselves yet you know they haven't even a puberty they're still trying to figure themselves out and so our school system they love to just give up on you as soon as you become a problem these kids not problems we just have to figure out ways to to just understand their language rather than you just putting them somewhere and saying you go over here because you're distracted to to the classroom give them a chance because once you start to kick them out and don't give them a chance what do you expect them to do they're going to go out and do what's out there in the world for them and so i think we have to be more strategic and really more caring when it comes down to our kids and and really just truly give them a chance. Not only I'm not only just the troublemakers, but also the students who make good grades. You know, one of the things that I found is the students who are very quiet and, and, and make a lot of good grades, a lot of them deal with some anxiety and some social issues. And so you don't want to just say, well, that's a good student. They don't have to talk. We'll place them in the back. No. Figure out ways to build that student's confidence up. Figure out to, figure out that student's you know, personality. Um, and I think once we start categorizing our kids, we give them a better chance at life. And you have a more vibrant classroom. And that's one of the things I try to do. You know, I, I try to when I when I see a classroom, I try to analyze it. If I have my talker, My talker needs to be placed with somebody that doesn't talk that much. You're not going to go place with your friends and have fun. I'm going to put you with somebody that you guys are different, but you're going to learn from each other, and you're going to be forced to learn. It's the adversity challenge. my, my teachers, they used to love placing me in the groups with my friends because they feel like I work a lot better. No, place me in a groups of people that I don't know because I'm going to be forced to do things that's outside of my normal. And so once we stop categorizing our kids and placing them in these categories and we just let them be who they are, but we truly invest into them. You know, I think those are the three things moving forward that we can really do to change that gap and really just create a great culture and a great classroom all over.
1: Hmm. Have you ever thought, thought of working in education?
2: You know, I've thought of that. Um, I've honestly been looking, actually looking in, you know, to positions where that's on the uh, administration side, not necessarily a principal, um, but a pro- program coordinator or things of that nature for a school district where I can, you know, implement this. Um, and I've, I think later on in, in my career, I do think I will be a professor, uh, maybe an adjusted professor at a, at a college or something like that. Um, but education will, will not always be too far for me. Um, regardless, if I'm inside the classroom or teaching, I think I'm always going to be centered around education. Um, and you know, who knows? Maybe one day I, I, I get into education. for Full time, and maybe become a teacher, or something along that line.
1: Well, I, I definitely see you as an advocate for students. So, whatever role that looks like, um, okay. So, how would you define community, Sebastian? What does that look like for you?
2: You know, I think community comes down to the um, the inclusion of you know different people from different walks of life um, living in a, in a certain area, and they they're sharing. You know. The, um, Similar beliefs, but also sharing, you know, a, a experience of life. they're they're experiencing life together because we're all in this community. And so, you know, community is is essentially, A pot of a lot of different things like a gumbo pot. You have your shrimp, you have your crabs. That's exactly where our communities are. You have different people from walks of life. They're they're into this mix. And if it's mixed right, it's gonna taste good. Just like a good gumbo (laughs) will. And so I think you have to kind of use that 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 analogy and use that, you know, that mindset when it comes down to community. That's what community looks like to me. You know, not everybody in my neighbor my my neighborhood is gonna look like me. I'm gonna have a neighbor who's gonna be different, but you know, that's what makes us who we are. That's what makes our community so great because you have a little sprinkle of so many different things. And if we all can just learn and to just trust one another um, and, and be there for one another and, and learn how to give, I think our communities would be in, in a lot in a lot better shape.
1: I, I saw an old movie a long time ago of um, this young um, Caucasian girl walked up to this African American man and asked her mm-hmm. asked him why he was black, and and she said, "Did God paint you?" and and he said, "Yes, God painted me." And she said, "Why?" And he said, um, because God loves variety. You know, mm. it, it's boring <laughs> if we all look the same. And no soup yeah. would taste very good, right? That gumbo is boring exactly. if you only put one exactly. thing in it, right? So, exactly. So it exactly. Takes all it. That's great. So I normally would ask my guests um, how they choose to give back to their community. But in doing my research on you, I came across ways in which you have given back. And I'm just going to list them because, again, listeners – Sebastian is 23. So Sebastian um, was the Community Service Director for Young Millennials in Texas. Um, He mentioned this earlier, he taught ESL um, civics course. Um, He worked for Habitat for Humanity Building Project, National Honor Society member, Future Business Leaders of America, uh, Memorial Assistant Ministries volunteer, Alpha Home volunteer, Fiesta Especial Royalty Run, San Antonio Threads volunteer. You helped raise over $100,000 for community efforts. Uh, Salvation Army volunteer and partner. Communities and school volunteer. Thrive Outreach volunteer. Haven for Hope volunteer. It just continues to go, 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 go. So, what inspires you? What inspires you to do this? Because you do not see most uh, 23 year olds and down. Not that I'm not saying that you don't that generation doesn't choose to give back or that time frame in your lives. But yeah. to this degree, you don't normally see that. So what what's your inspiration? Why do you choose to do that?
2: You know, I, I think it all trickles down to, to for me as a kid, you know, seeing how fun it was mm-hmm. just to give. And 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 take care of people, but also you know, like I said, I think I think life. Once you figure out you know your your purpose and, and realize that it's always going to be bigger than you. And if I can just serve somebody and and just change somebody's life, you know, I I think that's that that's it for me. And you know, when when you're in those volunteer moments and you're and you're doing stuff to for others, all your problems are just out of the world. You know, there's been times where I made a failed test, I got midterms coming up but I'm gonna get up on Saturday morning and make sure I go volunteer. And I felt like that was my my escape. And to this day, you know, no matter what goes on in my personal life or my personal career, you know, just being able to just come home and just, you know, do something that's centered around giving and and, and, and giving back to my community of volunteering. That has always, you know, let me escape from reality and just, I, it's like I'm in living in a, on a cloud or something. You know, when I'm in those moments, uh, when I'm giving, I, I realize that I, I'm truly my best self and I'm really just truly walking in my identity and my purpose. And so, you know, I think that's what inspires me each and every day that because you know not only that I'm doing it for myself but I'm creating a Sanders legacy you know one of my my favorite you know quotes is you know it's it's about your last name meaning something in life you know being able to brand my last name and brand my family but also I'm creating no not only generational wealth but but I'm creating generational success you know I want the Sanders Hand Foundation to to trickle down to my kids and my grandkids just keep on pushing down you know I want to be able to look up you know Couple years removed, a couple generations removed. Well, my great great-grandf- my great grandfather created this. Sebastian Sands created this, and this is our legacy. This is a family legacy, and that, that's exciting. But also exciting is you're planting seeds. I'm working with kids, um, in high school, and middle school who's going to remember everything that we've done for them. And, and I, had a, I had a student reached out. I don't know how he found my personal Instagram. I usually don't share it with my kids. I try to keep them on the Sanders hand Instagram, you know, and he, I don't know how he found me, but he said, Hey man, thank you so much for coming to speak to me. You know, I didn't know what to do about my career, but now I'm going to choose to be a firefighter. And he was sending me some videos. He's working on video editing and things like that. And that's, that's so, that feels so good because Sometimes you may go through a session and work with your kids and they may not you may not think they're engaged, you know, because they they probably, you know, tired, annoyed. They've they going through a lot. But for him to reach out three to four years removed and say, thank you for doing this. I'm, I, I'm going to be a firefighter. That truly means a lot. And just think about that's just one student who found my Instagram. Think about the other ones who couldn't find it. And they was like, you know what? This person changed my life. And that's exciting to see, because if I didn't go speak to you that day. I don't know how. I'm pretty sure you know you were you would, things would turn out good, but you don't know exactly what your motivation has done for that person. And so I, I live my life by that. You know I think that's my success. You know I define my success on how many people's lives I can change. And um, no matter you know how busy I am, you know these days I'm super busy. I, I got a lot of things going on, but I'm going to make sure you know I, I stay dedicated to our scholarships. I stay dedicated to putting on programs for our kids. Um, I may not be as you know you know hands on physically with it as I used to be when I was in college, but I'm going to make sure I'm supporting others in these communities so I can help them get their mission is i do the same for myself and so i think i do that for the rest of my life and i just want to inspire the next person to do the same
1: wow well if you're defining your life by how many people you've impacted you're doing really well you're doing really well keep that going keep that going yes ma'am so what would you want to leave us with today what would you want to say to our listeners to uh to motivate them
2: You know, I will will leave here today with saying that, you know, for anybody in in today's world, you know, I think it's often that we we may get caught up in, you know, I don't know what's going to be my purpose. I I don't know what's for me. Um, I, I just don't know. You know, I'm going through the motions. I would like to say, you know, each and every one of us is born with some type of specific unique purpose or some type of talent. Whether you may know it or not, we all have some type of talent, Um, but it's up to you to turn that talent into reality and create your success. Um, And, you know, the most talent that you will ever find is in the graveyard Um, because you have people who live life, go through so many transitions in life, do so much, could possibly live a great life. But they didn't live up to their their potential or talent because they truly... Probably didn't have the confidence or the resources to make that a reality, and so as you, you know, as you wake up each and every day, you know, strive towards that because you just never know what that can create for yourself and for your family. And then, and another thing is, you know, you're never too old to do something, and you're never too young to do something. You know, I started my journey when I was right, right at uh, 18, 19, when I kind of really started tapping into the entrepreneurial stuff and kind of took off when I turned twenty-one. But I was reading a story that was a young lady. I believe she was eleven years old in um, Atlanta, Georgia. She had some type of lemonade recipe. I think she had a lemonade stand. And her mom started investing to her bottles and packaging. It got bought out by Whole Foods for a couple million dollars. Eleven years old, and that was from Lemonade. And so I was like, "Wow, let me go make some Lemonade or Kool Aid to see if I can get that, you know, sold into some stores." But you, but that, but that's so inspiring because she's eleven years old. Now imagine a thirty year person who's been sitting on a, a, an amazing idea, but they necessarily do not believe in themselves and they feel like I can never get this off the ground because my time is up. Most being there is, I, I I don't know if this is off the top of my head, but most people really accumulate that what's a success once they hit that 30 to you know 40 year old range. And so, you know, you you have to just do it now. You're, you're going to perfect it later on. It's going to get better with time, but just do it now. You know, I, I hate wasted talent you know, and I hate when people say I, I could have did this. I should have did this. You can still do it. you know. No matter what it is, you can still do it. And so if I can just, you know, inspire you to just listen to this podcast, put the headphones down, go out into the world and get that idea, business or product or service off the ground that you've been wanting to do, um, you know, go do that. Because you're going to thank yourself five years from now and say, you know what? I'm glad I started rather than saying, oh, I wish I would have did this um, because wasted talent is one of the things that we hate to see. And you don't want to see the next person with the same idea. And you said that could have been me and you had the opportunity to do so.
1: That's right. Get up and make it happen.
2: Yes, ma'am.
1: That's awesome. Well, Sebastian, thank you so much for taking the time. Like you said, I know that you are a very busy person. No (laughs) problem. So thank you for taking the time to be on the podcast today. And listeners, thank you for joining us for another conversation around good. We love sharing stories of good. If you know an individual like Sebastian or an organization like Sanders Hand or a business that is doing cool things in their community, reach out to us today because we would love to share their stories of good.
0: Thank you for joining us for another conversation around good. Hit that subscribe button so you never miss out on a story of good. Made Possible by makes giving easy for community minded businesses and provides a better way to share their stories of good. Go to madepossibleby.us for more information or to sign up to be a guest on our podcast. Now get out there and make good loud.